0: The reading this evening is from 1 John, uh, the Pew Bibles, page number 1225, and we're going to read the first five verses there, and then we'll move two pages forward into 1 John chapter four after that. Let us hear God's word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at. And our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. Which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And then forward to chapter 4 and begin at verse 7. Dear friends, Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him. And He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And we trust that God will add His blessing to the reading of His Word.
1: So as the little ones make their way out, please do open your Bibles with me to First John again as we open God's Word this evening. <clears throat> uh, and what we want to think about this evening, we're really trying to continue on what we were thinking about a few Sundays ago in the morning time. We wanted to think a little bit about what it looks like to have gospel doctrine and gospel culture here in Hill Street. What does it mean to be part of this church, to be living as God's people here in this church, as part of the church family. That is a phrase that we use over and over again here at Hill Street. We want to try and think this through for ourselves this evening. So as we look at 1 John, we're going to try and and take a lot of First John really uh, this evening and work our way through it. We're gonna dip in and dip out at different places. First John is written in a, in a circular manner. It's a, it's a skill that's called amplification in which John goes round and round. He, he often repeats the same themes so that each time that you come across them, they're louder and clearer for us. So we're gonna work our way through it. And as we work our way through it this evening, it's really under this title, A Transformed Community with a transforming message. A transformed community, the church, us here, with a transforming message, the good news of the gospel. So, have we ever heard this said? Church is boring. I hate the pews. I can't stand the minister. I detest the colour of the carpet. The praise group only ever sing old songs or they only ever sing new songs. Nothing to do with our praise group, obviously. Uh, I can't stand this, I can't stand that, I can't stand him or I can't stand her. I wonder how many times we have said those phrases around the kitchen table after a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. Well, this evening, if the slate was clean, if we gathered into Hill Street for the first time this evening... What would it look like? What would you have the church look like this evening? What would you change? Or perhaps a more dangerous question is, who would you change in this place? And here's the key, as we think about church, and as we imagine our favorite church, I remember asking this to a a school class at Killigamane Junior High School once, and they came up with very creative answers that uh, for the girls, it was going to be pink carpet, right? And they were going to have bouncy castles and all of this, right? Crazy answers for what church would look like. But for you, for us this evening, as we think about what church would look like, here's the key What would change? Why would it change? Would it be motivated by the gospel and God's word, or would it be down to our personal preference? And as we start to think about what we would have church look like through God's word and understanding in ourselves if we're motivated by the gospel or if we're not motivated by the gospel, we want to think about what the culture of this place then is like. What are the things that we would love to keep in Hill Street if we were to start afresh this evening? And what are some of the things that we would like to get rid of? What are some of the things that we think are gospel add-ons? What do we tack on to the gospel here at Hill Street? We say that we believe that it's faith alone and Christ alone, but do we really mean that? Is it faith alone and Christ alone and something else Whenever we talk about having faith in Jesus here at Hill Street, do we expect people to come along the Hill Street and trust in Christ? But then other things, we start to pile up. You can trust in Christ, but if you're going to come along the Hill Street, you also need to do this. You need to have this. You need to have this. You really should look like this. So do we make it Jesus and Tommy Hilfiger or Jesus and Ralph Lauren? Do we make it Jesus and something else? What is the culture here at Hill Street for us? We've used this quote. I've used it a few Sundays ago as we thought about this. William Tyndale describes the gospel as this, the good, the merry, the glad and joyful news that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing and dance and leap for joy. That's very strange for us. I know as Presbyterians that is strange whenever Tyndale says that. Good Mary news, that's joyful news that makes us sing and dance and leap for joy. Well, this letter, John is writing back into a church culture that has started to change. This good, joyful news is almost gone. It has almost vanished. The fire has Dwindled in this church. It's it's uh, John's writing this to a church at Ephesus and a, a collection of churches, and there has been a, a great division. People have started to started to scatter and to follow false teaching. There's trouble in this church, and the joy has started to disappear. Our first our first five verses this evening. What is John trying to emphasize? What's he trying to teach the church here? He's trying to say that look, we have we have witnessed Jesus. We have, we have seen him, verse 1, with our own eyes. We have looked at him. We have touched it with our own hands. And what do we want to do? Well, we want to pass this on to you. 3, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. We want to pass this on. And why do they want to do it? Note it in verse 4. I'm reading here from the ESV. You should also lift it. And NIV, he says in verse 4, that your joy may be complete. He's writing this so that their joy would would abound, that they would have joy in Jesus. Verse 4, that our joy may be complete. You see, John writes this and he realizes that the church here needs a refresh, they need to come right back to the gospel center. This sect has came along and it has changed the gospel. The vision is in place, and people are unsure of what they will believe. Would they commit to Jesus or would they fall away? And John says in, in chapter 3 of this letter, you'll be able to see it with me. John says in chapter 3 and verse 11 that we should love one another. <coughs> This is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. John's trying to say that the culture in your church here at Ephesus should be surrounded by love. And we heard it in chapter 4. And you will see it all the way through this letter. Love. Love people. Love one another. A deep love. A gospel love. Why or how? How can this be? Well, verse 16 of chapter 3 tells us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You see, what's a marker of this community? What's going on is, as as John starts to talk to them about love, there's, there's great humility here. There's humility amongst these people. You see, a proud man or a proud woman will not lay down his life for a brother in the church but someone who is humble, someone who is servant-hearted. See, the culture that he's trying to encourage in this place, Lay down your lives for one another. So he's trying, John is trying to hammer this again and again, that this community of believers should be soaked in gospel love, that they should be soaked in the gospel and the good news of the gospel, telling them to themselves over and over and over again. So the question for us is, where do we need to hear this again? What part of our fellowship do we need to apply this to again? Is there love in this place? Deep love, not just a a fake superficial love, but a love that is willing to lay down one another's life for each other because it's born out of humility an understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, that we're sinners saved by grace, that we have nothing to boast about in this place apart from Christ and Him alone. And in our church family that we declare over and over again that we have salvation from the judgment of God, brought into fellowship with God, all done by God, and that's the good news. Along with this humility comes repentance. Chapter 2, chapter 2 and verse 1 to 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to our defense in the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice of our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, what's John trying to say here? John's trying to say to us as a church family and as a people and as a church family here in Ephesus as well, that they are Justified, right? Their status is secure. Who they are in Jesus Christ is locked in. It's not going to change. Chapter 3, verse 1 How great is the love of the Father that He has lavished it on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, right? So He says, Look, this is who you are. Your status is secure. You are justified in Christ. He has paid the price for your sin. You are a transformed people. And as you come together in a transformed community, a mark should be humility and a mark should be repentance so that whenever you do fall into sin, if you fall into sin, that that doesn't change your status. You are still justified. You're still in Jesus, but that you come and that you repent. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does, we have a defense in Jesus Christ. We have an advocate in Jesus Christ. So in this place, we want to be marked by humility. We want to be marked by repentance. So that our church culture here in Hill Street looks like laying down of oneself for each other, saying sorry to one another. Not a church full of pride, but a church full of humility. So, what is our church culture really like? I imagine that we would say, we are evangelical here. Hill Street is an evangelical place. But what things would we not tolerate other than talking about our doctrine? What are some things that would be a step too far for us? Imagine that the Lord started to move in our community and people started to be converted and people were hungry and thirsty in the homes around us here. And imagine that on a Sunday evening, that we had a group of five or six or two or three people coming along, not from our church background, all foreign to them, but they were still, they were smokers. So on our way out of the front doors of the church, there would be a little group of them there, and they'd be having a, having a fake, right? What would we start to say? Can't believe, can't believe, can't believe such and such is coming along. Did you see him? After the church service, he was out the front. How long would it take us to start to complain? If people genuinely started to come into this place, genuinely started to be saved. You see, are we starting to tack on that Jesus Christ and him alone, we want to see people saved, but actually here, this this place is quite middle class, it's respectable. So it's repent and believe in Jesus, and actually tidy yourself up a little bit. Or do we just want to get people to Jesus? Do we want people to see Jesus? And you know what? We'll work through all of these other things with them. So if we meet somebody out in Little or in Tesco or in the little shop over the way, and they don't look like us, that doesn't really matter. We say to them, "Come along, please come to Hill Street because we want you to meet with Jesus." But but I'm a smoker. Well. Don't worry about that. We'll sort that out way down the line, but we want to get you to Jesus. We want to introduce you to Jesus. We want you to come to know Jesus. And I'm just picking smoking because it's an easy one to pick. What about all of the other things? You see, here in this place, it has to be just Jesus, right? Right? That has to be our culture, that we want people to come along and to encounter Jesus Christ in this place, and that we preach the gospel, the whole counsel of the gospel, the whole counsel of God, week after week, because we realize that we need the gospel more than anyone else, that we need it to wash over us afresh every week in this place. We were thinking a little bit about this in membership class this morning. One of Nigel's favorite quotes about Martin Luther is that that the gospel has to be Beat into us week after week. We need the gospel beat into us as Christians. Whenever we think about it, who did Jesus come for? He came for the sick, not for the well. He came for the despised and the rejected. He came for the lowly in spirit. He came for the outcast. And John here writes this letter. And he tries to get the church to see this again. He tries to get them to walk in the ways of the Lord again. To not love the world, we see it. Look in in verse 5 of chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. And then again into chapter 2, in verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the the, the boasting of what he has what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. He's trying to, trying to help the church see that they can't live in light of the world, that the world has to be cast aside for them, that they can't bring that into the culture of the church, but rather they're there to be people who walk in light, who know God as light who have fellowship, chapter 1, verse 6, with him, walk with him, know him, live in him, live for him and with him. So that Jesus isn't just some religious garnish that we thought about a few weeks ago. And we often say this, that, that Jesus isn't just someone that we claim to follow on a Saturday or a Sunday, but he actually changes our lives, that he transforms us, and we live that through the week. John here tries to help us see the beauty of the gospel throughout this letter. This love that we had read for us in chapter 4. He tries to expose us to it again. He wants the church to see it again here at Ephesus. He wants them to experience the love of God, the majesty and the wonder of God afresh again in their lives. He wants them to see Jesus for who he is and what he has done for them. So for us this evening, a little way that we can think about it is like this. Imagine, Imagine that a king goes to look for a wife and he goes to look for his wife and as he looks for his wife, he he doesn't go to the usual places. He doesn't go to all the the posh places, all the well-to-do places, but actually this king goes to look for his wife in a brothel. Imagine this. Imagine a prince or a king goes to Amsterdam and he takes a lady He sees a lady, falls for this lady and he takes her, a lady who is involved in prostitution and he makes her his princess. He woos her and he loves her. He's kind to her. Well, in many ways, King Jesus has come and he has called his bride, the church, to come and to marry him. He has wooed us. And he has wooed us from where? He has wooed us from the streets of idolatry, where we commit idolatry in our hearts over and over again, where we prostitute ourselves out into the world, that we love the things of the world, where we crave after the things of the world in chapter 2. We chase after them. Well, Jesus has come to draw us out of that. He draws us out, our King. And he puts new clothes on us. And he gives us dignity and respect. He gives us the the title of being able to be called children of God. So he comes and he brings us life and he brings us light. So as a church, we are part of his bride. Part of this transformed community. And we want to live in light of that. In light of God's grace to us so that we recognize that we are so unworthy and he's the worthy one. He's the one who has died to save us. So how do we respond to that this evening? How do we start to work that through in our hearts? What does it look like for us to respond to that message? Well, it looks like this, that we say to Jesus, Jesus, every day that I have here on earth is yours. Every day that you give me, every day that I have, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to be in the church family here at Hill Street. I'm going to serve in the church family at Hill Street. I'm going to come alongside brothers and sisters who are struggling. I'm going to love and celebrate with them whenever things are going well. I'm going to love and mourn and draw alongside them whenever things are tough. That we are all in here in this place. That we don't just come along and give half of ourselves to Hill Street, but that we give all of ourselves to all of the people here. That we can't sit on the fence for King Jesus. You see, Jesus either is who he says he is or he's not. He either is this, this person who has shown love for us and given us new life and called us out of darkness into life. He's, he's the person who gives us the right to be called children of God or he's not. And see if he's not, why do we come along? Why do we even bother coming along the Hill Street? If Jesus isn't that person, if he isn't the one who has loved us so much, to come here to save us from our sin, to rescue us, to give us new life and a hope, then why do, we, why do we even bother? But if he is, if he is the king of kings, if he is the one who has redeemed us, if he is the one who has given us new life, then surely, surely he deserves all of us. Surely He deserves us to, to worship Him here. Surely, surely He's worthy of all of our prayers. Surely He is worthy of hours spent in prayer. Surely He's worthy of, of us coming alongside each other and saying, Do you know what, I'm really struggling. But Jesus has paid it all for me. I've sinned this week. I've, I've, I've fallen short. But I have an advocate Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Surely he's worthy of us being a little bit open with one another and transparent. Asking one another for help. Asking one another for prayer. What does it look like to live as part of a transformed community? Well, surely Jesus starts to shape and control everything that we do. Everything in this place. And then that works its way out. Do we welcome people here? Do we invest in the people? Do we love people? Do we disciple people? Francis Schaefer said this, a church that understands this type of culture will put it into practice and young people will be there. And people of every age will be there. And they'll come with joy and with dancing and with flowers in their hair. People of all ages coming to worship with great joy. That's what we long for, isn't it? And often, often in our meetings, our pews are filled with sleeping saints, right? John Piper talks about this. He talks about that the the magic and the wonder and the majesty of who Jesus is has long vanished. And we go into this sort of cycle of, a mechanical cycle of going through the motions And he says we're like a peach at the back of the fridge, all dried up and withered. He says, where's the joy? Where's the majesty? Where's the adoring of God for who he is? This evening, we want to live as a transformed community. And our time is almost gone. And I wanted us to think a little about living as part of this transformed community, but also going with a transformed message, that we cannot just keep this to ourselves. As folks here in Hill Street, as believers, as brothers and sisters here, as people who come along and fill the pews here week after week, and as we, as we work at this culture, as we try and love one another more, and as we try to draw alongside one another, as we try to be welcoming, as we try to have the gospel wash over our culture again and again, Sunday after Sunday, as we come in humility and as we come in repentance, we also have to share this message. We've got we to share this message. This is a message that will transform people, that will change lives. How do we know that? Because it's, it's changed and transformed us. We are demonstrations of the gospel, that Jesus has changed people. We are demonstrations of God's love here in this. We are demonstrations of people who have had life and who have found life in Jesus. I remember at college, a guy came along, and I may have shared this before at Hill Street. He came along and, and he was talking about a, a culture of evangelism in a church, a culture where everybody Everybody shared the good news with one another. And he asked someone, he said this, he said, who's the last person who came to Jesus in the meeting? And someone put up their hand. And he asked them to stand. And he said, said, who was it in here that shared the gospel with you? And he pointed across to someone else. And they, he said, he asked them to stand up. And he said to them, who was it in here that shared the gospel with you? And he pointed across to someone else in the congregation. And who who was it that shared the gospel with you? And she pointed across to someone else. And he said, I can't remember if it was 13 or else, 14 people in a row stood up. One after the other, after the other, after the other. People who were sharing the gospel with other people. And people were coming under the sound of the gospel and it was changing them. It was transforming them because it works, right? The good news of the gospel works. Jesus works. His word is living and active, and it is powerful. So we have to be convinced here at Hill Street that if we get someone along here week after week, that Jesus will work in their hearts and in their lives, that he will transform them, that they will see see Jesus for who he is, and that he will draw them onto himself. So we go. A transformed community, a transformed people. And we go with a transformed message out into this world, a message of love, ultimate love. Not love in the way that the world knows it, but sacrificial love, true love that we see demonstrated in Christ, the one who would bear the price for our sin. And John says it over and over and over again in this letter. Jesus is the one who paid for our sin. Jesus is the one. It's in him alone. We have nothing to boast. A little quote says this. If we do not evangelize, we will fossilize. If we do not evangelize, we will fossilize. And evangelism, sharing this transforming message, isn't just for myself myself. It's not just for Nigel or for Peter or for some enthusiastic people. This isn't just one of the things in Christianity that we can come in and browse and take off the shelf, but this is what it means to follow Jesus, that we tell people, that we share Jesus with one another. That what John tries to reiterate through this letter, and I'll encourage you to read it at home, it'll only take you a few moments to read through it. What he's trying to encourage is that that we so live this, that we live in Jesus in fellowship with him, that we're united to him, that we're part of who he is, that we experience this love, and then it flows from us. So like the psalmist, we will say, his praise shall continually be on my lips. That whenever we go into our workplace and someone asks us, what did you do this weekend? You can say, went along the church. What's all that about? Well, we get to come along and we get to worship Jesus. They might laugh at us. It might cost our street cred to plummet all of our reputation. They may think that we're weird or strange, but that's okay, isn't it? It's okay if the world thinks we're a little bit strange. Why? Because it's our Lord. It's for Him. And then that we trust that someday Whenever something goes wrong, whenever something starts to break in their lives, that they come to us to say, I remember that one day you said that you're a Christian or that you believe in Jesus. Would you, would you talk to me a little bit more about that? Could we explore that a little bit more? Can I encourage each of us this evening to think who is the one or the two in our life? Who's the one or two that we can be praying for? Who's the one or the two who can come along and know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we can bring them into this place? I heard a story this week of a man in the congregation who had a little list for a while, and there were many names on the list, and slowly but surely, people started to be converted as they were prayed for, and the, him and his friends would gather around, and they would shade names in as people would come to know Jesus. Our time's gone. The clock has beaten us. A transformed people living in a transformed community with a transforming message. We've only scratched the surface of 1 John. But I trust that that will be helpful for our souls that this evening we think about this. And if you're here this evening and you think, what is all that about? What, 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 what are they talking about? A hill street to be part of a church culture and a transformed people? But... You, you see something about Jesus here this evening and you want that for yourself, Jesus' offer is here for us all. He's the advocate, the one that wants to stand and defend us before the Father who has borne the price of our sin. And he invites us to come and be part of this family. Come. Come and be part of the children of God. Let us pray here this evening. Father in heaven, there is much for us to think about. Father, your word to us here this evening challenges us, challenges our hearts. What do we prioritize in this place? What sort of culture do we generate here? Father, we pray that we would be people shaped by the gospel, shaped by the love of your Son, people who are humble and who repent. And Father, we long to see more people here, people who are hungry and thirsty for you. Father, help us. Help us in our workplaces. Help us in our various situations and scenarios. Help us in our families to talk to people about you, that You would pour out of us, that the joy and the majesty and the glory of Your Son would shine through us to other people. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.